Nothing is perfect unless it's complete. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Paul's Jewish readers instinctively connected the concepts of something being whole, complete, sound, at peace, and perfect. The word shalom connotes all of those meanings. So when he says that Jesus was made perfect, they understood that he completed his experience as son. And when he points out that human priests never complete their duties, they could see that that system was not perfect. Here's Jim. I, I wonder sometimes how many of us sit in worship services and never really worship. Our, our thoughts go no higher than the ceiling. We can become distracted by things that are just human. And that whole hour can go by and we never really lift to God attitudes of praise, thoughts, words of expression of appreciation, thanksgiving, love, adoration. That's what worship is. That's what the high priest was called to do. He was the one who had certain symbolic actions he went through, certain rituals he performed through which he expressed the adoration, the love for the people of the covenant, the people who were, whom he was represented. He would stand between those people and their adoration for God and offer up sacrifices. Remember the incense? Remember the incense? I know most of us, especially we Gentiles, we're dumber than mud when it comes to the Old Testament worship service. I know that. And you really realize that if you go with me to Israel. <laughs> and there you see models of the temple and you see all these things that have been restored and built ready for the next temple, which will be along pretty soon now. And you see those things and you realize, I never realized that. I never realized, I never realized that. I never realized that. I never realized that. Yeah, well, the writer realized all of that and he's capsulated the work of the high priest. He is he is taken from men, that is, he's a human, he's a human person, and he is appointed to give his life in those things pertaining to God. He lifts the offerings, lifts the praises. The incense was a way of visually demonstrating the rising of prayers, petitions, requests, thanksgiving. That was one way that was expressed in the temple service. And the high priest was the head guy in charge of all of that stuff. And then there were the sacrifices for sins. That is, those sins that people committed, especially those sins they committed out of ignorance. They, for whatever reason, didn't know that what they were doing, thinking was a violation of God's righteous standard. And so they did it, and suddenly they feel guilty and realize they're under the judgment of God. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to play key God? How am I going to, how am I going to restore peace between God and me? Well, you're going to bring an appropriate sacrifice. And those were always bloody sacrifices. Animal had to die. Who did that? The priest. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he went into that place on behalf of the people. Now, let's read on. So, the point he's making is that every high priest is taken from men. He's, take, he's a man, taken from among 
people. He's appointed to do service or ministry in those things pertaining to God on behalf of the people. He offers both uh, gifts and sacrifices for sin. Verse 2, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he must make a sin offering for himself as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God just as Aaron was. I read that far to get to Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. Was Aaron a saint or a sinner? Oh, big time sinner. And he was the older brother of Moses, biologically. They were both born in the tribe of Levi. But Aaron, well, Moses went up on the mountain to receive the oracles from God, remember? He's up there and God says, get back down. The people have so transgressed against me, I'm about ready to destroy them. Moses is saying, wait a minute, we've only been out of Egypt a couple of months here. Well, they're doing bad stuff, get down. And Moses went down, when he saw what they were doing, he took the tablets of stone and broke them. Remember that? Remember that? Well, who was leading that mischief at the bottom of the mountain? Aaron. Aaron. On that day, if there was a chief of sinners, Aaron would have won the award. I say that to emphasize for you that Aaron was no righteous, sinless person. He was a sinner. That's the point the passage is making. But Aaron was chosen directly by God to be the high priest. He was chosen specifically to be the high priest. A little later, remember, he and Miriam had this scheme where they challenged Moses. Who do you think you are? And we're also subject to God. We're also equal. You, you shouldn't be above us, and some bad things happen. On that day, if you'd have asked the question, who are the chief sinners in Israel? You'd have said, Aaron and Miriam. So Aaron is not a pure little sinless guy that God found off in a woodshed someplace, isolated from society, and, and he's a perfect little perfect guy that never sinned. He's a bad sinner. He's got sin all over him. He sinned. That's Aaron. It God chose him. God not only chose Aaron, God made a rule that every high priest, now all of the priests who serve in the temple. All the priests had to be descendants of Levi, the tribe of Levi. But only, only sons who were generated from or descended from the tribe of Aaron, not tribe, the family of Aaron, only those who were from Aaron's family were qualified to be priests. Every one of them we're sinners. That's why you have this explanation in here. You see, it says that, I'm going to read it this way, verse 2, Aaron was able, see, Aaron was able to deal gently with those who were ignorant and going astray. Why? Because Aaron himself was also subject to weakness. I should say so. Because of this, Aaron must make a sin offering for himself as well as for the people. Aaron, the high priest, needs a priest. He's the sinner. 
And so on the Day of Atonement, God made this arrangement that the high priest, who only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, you understand that language? Uh, let's, let's use an illustration. Let's imagine that the platform is a huge, thick, thick, uh, there's a huge, thick curtain that hangs from the ceiling back to where the choir sits, back there. And you can't go through that curtain. And this whole building here is the front part of the Tabernacle Temple. It's called the Holy Place. That's the Holy of Holies on the other side of that curtain. Only the high priest, only once a year, on a specific day, is allowed to go past that curtain. And he has to go in twice. First time he has to go in with the blood of a bullock. That's for his sin. He has to start with his problem. He has to begin with the fact that I am a human, I am a sinner, I have violated God's law, therefore I must offer a sacrifice for my sin first and the sins of my family. Then he comes out and he takes the blood of a goat. Goes in the second time and that blood is poured out as a blood offering for the people, for the covenant people, for all the people in all the 12 tribes. See that? He goes in twice. But first of all, he has the problem of his own problem. And you know what happens? 12 months later, he's got to go back in again. Because that blood offering was temporary. It wasn't permanent. Now, we're going to have to remember that setting for the next three chapters because there's tons of stuff going to come at us. And it's all based upon that system that God set up at the nation of Israel, Mount Sinai, through Moses in the wilderness. It resulted in the tabernacle and the priesthood. It resulted later in the tabernacle being transposed into the temple which Solomon built, and subsequent temples were built when Solomon's was destroyed. Now, the priests who ministered there were human. They were chosen. They were selected. They didn't take, as verse 4 says, no one takes this honor on himself. Instead, the person who is called to be high priest has to be called by God. God selected Aaron. That was God's choice. And since God's the one who's violated, he makes the rules as to how we can remove our violation from him. You tracking with me? Okay, I'm going to pick up the pace just a little bit, okay? Look what it says next. It says, no one takes this honor on himself. A person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, the Messiah, that's Jesus, did not exalt himself to become a high priest. Think of that. All of the excellencies of Jesus' perfect life did not qualify him or make him automatically a high priest for us. That's amazing. That's what's saying. Messiah did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but the one who said to him, that would be the father, who said to him, quote, you are my son, today I have become your father, that same one, God the Father, also said in another passage, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The next three chapters are going to unpack that.
what that means. But know two things. Jesus, the Messiah, God the Son, he is a priest forever. No end to his priesthood, no limitation to his priestly powers, none whatsoever. And the pattern for that is seen in what's called the order of Melchizedek. He's an Old Testament person we're going to meet probably next week. And there's a reason why God used that language in the Psalms to describe the high priestly ministry of Jesus. He didn't say, Jesus, you are my son today, I have become your father. He didn't say that. And then to the same person say later, you are a priest forever in the order of Aaron. See that? Aaron's priesthood didn't last forever. Aaron's priesthood, the effects of his priesthood were year after year after year after year. There was no forever in it. Now, why was it that Jesus the Messiah, why was it he was named to this incredible position of being a priest forever in a different system of worship called the Order of Melchizedek? Well, here's why. Verse 7. During his, that's Jesus, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears. We just sang about that. He offered prayers, appeals, loud cries, and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his reverence. What's that mean? That means that when Jesus was a man, although he never sinned, he experienced temptation, he experienced hunger, he experienced everything with the exception of sin that you and I experience. He knows human life from the inside out. And there was at least one moment in his life where that became excruciatingly painful. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, it was also outside the tomb just before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. There also, the Bible tells us, Jesus was deeply, deeply, deeply grieved within his spirit. And it expressed itself in tears. Why did he do that? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why did he do that? Because he felt the pain of Mary and Martha. He felt the burden of death. He knew the enemy, death, and could empathize with those folks who were going through that experience. And in the garden, he knew exactly what was ahead of him. He wasn't praying, Father, help me get out of here. I don't want to do it. He was saying, Father, your will, not mine, be done. And I know you have the power to deliver me from death. I know that. I know that. But I would rather die to obey your will and accomplish what pleases you than to not die and escape the pain. The cross was not a picnic. It was very painful. The separation was not a picnic. It was very painful. You could go on and on and on and on and on with the, the experiences Jesus had while he was here on the earth. So Jesus has been where you are tonight. The only exception is that he did not go there because of his own sin. He went there because sin permeates 
human experience. It says, he was heard because of his reference. Though a son, that means though God, though he had this unique relationship of being God, one with the Father, he was in human flesh and had become totally man. Though he was son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned and experienced things as a man that deity never experienced apart from his manhood. Let me say that again. Jesus learned the price of obedience. He learned the pain of obedience to the Father in a world that hated the Father and wanted nothing to do with him. He learned through that experience of being man, he learned what it is like to suffer. And through those sufferings, he learned some things about human life under the burden of sin, under the cancer of condemnation, under the curse. He learned some things through that suffering he had, which qualifies him to be our high priest. He's been there, he's done that, he's got the scars. That's the point. Verse nine again, after he was perfected. After he was perfected. Now perfected there doesn't mean made more moral, made more holy. It means made more complete. Jesus is God the Son in human flesh. In human flesh, he became totally man. As man, he experienced things that God the Father could only imagine. God the Spirit could only imagine. They never experienced those things. Jesus came and experienced them firsthand. Through the things that he suffered, he learned the price, the scope, the need of obedience to God. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, folks, uh, that's, that's high waiter territory. That's, that's, not, that's not elementary truth. The things we've been talking about here a border on the sheer mysteries of the infinity of God's holiness. They border on the limitations of God's personal experience, for he never sinned. They border on the ability Jesus had to, as a human, live a human life, and to live a human life among people who were cursed and fallen, to be tempted, all of those things. Jesus is unique. God the Father, God the Spirit, did not have that. Jesus has that. And because of how he suffered, because he was always obedient to the Father, because he never sinned, he was able to be substitute for us and to offer himself, as we'll learn later, a couple chapters later, he was able to offer himself as the sacrifice for our sin to die in our place. And he did that. 
And as such, as our substitute, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And one of the aspects of that eternal salvation, that eternal life he gives us, is pictured in what it means to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that word forever and that word eternal mean that he'll never have to repeat that. Once for all, accomplished forever. Now, the next verse launches us into fresh territory. Uh, some years ago, I was on a, on a preaching tour, and I had to go from Hagerstown, Maryland. I was visiting my parents in Martinsburg. I had to go from Hagerstown, Maryland, over the mountain, through the woods, by airplane down to Washington, Washington. And there were storms going through, and uh, the pilot told us when we got into Hagerstown, he said, uh, button up, this is going to be quite a ride. So we buttoned up, the other person and myself, there were six of us in the plane, got in the pilot. We buttoned up, and we got up about as high as we are going to go, and the plane, I mean, it's, it's inside a washing machine. It's, it's bad. And he, he, he leaned over the seat, took aside his mic, and said, better tighten those belts, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I thought, how can it get worse? I, I don't think we turned upside down on that, but just about every other way. I tell you, I was very, very, very happy when those wheels touched the ground, when they touched the ground. Well, that's where we're going in these next few verses. Look what the writer says. Now, we have a great deal to say to you to teach about this matter of Jesus as high priest, a priest chosen by God, our mediator, and eternally eternally, forever, high priest on our behalf. He says, we have, we have a great deal to say about this, and he does, about four chapters worth. It's difficult to explain. You're going to have trouble. There's going to be turbulence. You're going to have trouble understanding this. But notice the next phrase. It's difficult to explain since you have become slow to understand. Ouch. The writer is saying to the readers, you're not going to get this. And I'm slowing down right now to warn you that it's going to be rougher than what we've already touched. Matter of fact, you're not going to comprehend it. Why? Because, because you, notice, have become. You've retrograded. The line of priests from father to son never ended, and their sacrifices never ended. Their work was never done, never perfected. They could not sit down. But Jesus sat down. His priestly work is complete, perfect. Which priest would you rather go to? About Priestly Things is the name of Jim's message. He'll give us the third and final part tomorrow. If you'd like to have the whole message on CD, we'll send it to you for a donation of $7 or more. We're working on a series of talks in the book of Hebrews. It's captured on 19 CDs, available for your donation of $66 or more, and it's called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. Thank you to our partners, our family, those giving and praying to keep Bright Start going out over the air and on the Internet. God bless you for helping us shine the light of His Word as far as we can. And if you haven't taken the leap from listener to partner yet, please pray about that. Thanks. Mail us at Right Start. P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. 
That's 800-984-2313. Do one of those and visit our website, rightstartradio.org. You can play radio programs there, or you can have fresh ones sent to your smartphone each day through the Right Start podcast. Click the on iTunes link for that. If you want to hear a particular sermon straight through without interruption, you can play or download the uncut files, and you can donate securely at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. Our level of spiritual maturity will come under scrutiny in the next passage in Hebrews. Please tune in for Wednesday's Right Start. Right Start.